I don't know if I want to chat with you after what you did to me this week. What have I done to you? This movie. Oh. Oh, so that's the grudge you have. Yes. I feel deeply betrayed that you suggested we watch this movie. Although I don't know if I'm more betrayed by you forcing me to watch the movie or more astonished that you were willing to watch this movie a second time. I feel like we should just like jump into the episode because it's clear that you need to air your grievances. I do. Listeners, this could be the end of our friendship. This might be the last episode of the podcast because I cannot believe I was forced to suffer 102 minutes of this film. Well, then, welcome to Romcomathon. I'm Alex. And I am a very betrayed cat. And this month, we watched Wild Mountain Time at my suggestion. Let me provide some context. Alex has already seen this movie for reasons passing understanding. And she was like, you must watch it. It's so bad. We should watch it. You know, like when people are like, this tastes awful. You should try it. This was exactly that situation. And I was told not to look anything up beforehand. So I didn't. And... The only good thing I can say about this movie is that it was less than two hours. It does seem unbearably long. I rewatched it earlier today and I was like, God, this movie is just interminable. It's so long. Um, Okay, so I watched it when it came out during the pandemic because my wife wanted to watch it. I don't know why, by the way, I'll, I'll, I'll say that. I don't know why. Um, I was not keen, but she was like, please, let's just watch it. So I did. So I'm going to sever ties with both of you, just to be clear. <laughs> but then when we were trying to think of like what we we're going to watch for June, I was like, oh, we should watch this because technically it is a rom-com, but mostly because it's so awful and so weird. Um, yes, it was on Hulu, right? And the little, like, genre thing on the side says romance, comedy. Um. Questionable. Um. (laughs) There was a lot of, I think, unintentional comedy. I was going to say. There was some intentional comedy. There was, it, it was completely a romance, but not at all romantic. And when I sat down to summarize the plot, you were like, well... At least it's not going to take you long. But in fact, I have quite a bit to say. I don't know how, because it seems like I rewatched the movie. I'm like, I put this in air (laughs) quotes and I like paid attention to like maybe 20 minutes of it because most of it, I was like, what is even happening? These people don't behave like humans. Yes. So little happened and yet so much happened. And here's something that must be said. I also wouldn't let... Matt look anything up. By the way, midway through this, I offered to let him leave and finish it on my own. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. Alex would not rewatch it with me. (laughs) He was extremely fixated the entire time. Like, this must be a play. There's no way that this is just a movie that someone wrote. It has to be a play, which I totally get because there's definitely some stuff early on where they're like, this water tastes like glass and glass tastes like teeth. And you're like, this is definitely a play. Oh, yes. By the guy who wrote Doubt. Yep. Yep. He was like, if this is an original screenplay, I'm going to scream. And then when we looked it up after, I could not believe That John Patrick Shanley wrote this movie. The guy who wrote Doubt wrote this thing. And I imagine the play was better, 
but it doesn't sound like it was good. No, I mean, Alex was like, I could see how like this would have been like, okay as a play. And I was like, would it have been okay as a play? I don't know. This is so boring. But you know, in plays, there's a lot of space for like weird metaphors and pauses and people sitting in rooms with their confused Irish feelings. So I was like, I can kind of see this. But I have to say, on Wikipedia, at least one like Irish reviewer called the play mystifyingly awful. (laughs) He said it was beyond the edge of awfulness. And then they turned it into a film. But here's the thing. You can't even say like, oh, maybe John Patrick Shanley is a playwright and he just shouldn't write movies because he also wrote Moonstruck. It's inexplicable. It's inexplicable. Anyway, why don't you go on with the plot? <laughs> I'm, I, I want to see how long this is because I, I feel like my plot summary would have been like three lines. I mean, in terms of what actually happened, there's very little action. Because it was a fucking play. <laughs> Yes, you're like, ooh, you could have saved a lot of money and made this as like a 20-minute bottle episode of a television show. Very weird television show. But okay, so Wikipedia summarizes this movie as, one sentence, conflicts in an Irish family arise when the patriarch threatens to hand over their farm to an American nephew instead of his own son. That is not what I would distill the plot of this film into. I feel like that line makes it sound like kind of like a reasonable, interesting play. Kind of like, I don't know, succession, but Irish. No, no, no. This is not that. This is bad. Yeah, that's like a very succinct description, but it also makes you feel like there are more than two members in this family. And you might think that the father, you know, lives through the whole play. In fact, he dies quite soon. <laughs> Is it that soon? Okay, maybe halfway, I guess he, he dies. But still, there's like a good half of the movie he's not in. Well, also, he's like narrating and he's all like, if an Irishman dies in the middle of a story, he'll definitely be back. So like, is he back? Is he telling the story? Is this the story he's telling? Is the story just a metaphor? I don't know. Anyway, I'm going to summarize the plot, but feel free to jump in anytime. Oh, I will. So Jamie Dornan and Emily Blunt have grown up on neighboring Irish farms uh, since they were young children. And since they were young children, Emily Blunt has been obsessed with Jamie Dornan for seemingly no reason. He's just a dreamy neighbor boy. Yeah, he doesn't seem that great, frankly. The older he gets, the more you're like, my God, why? But anyway, so she loves him. She hangs out in trees, spying on him. One day she like hops down from a tree and maybe like attacks a girl who's rejected him or something. And he pushes her down. They're like 10. And she's very upset. And her father trying to comfort her is like, oh, like you're above that. You know, you're so great. Whatever. You're a swan like in Swan. Like, great. What a nice thing to say to a little girl. Reasonably normal. I thought, we'll see what happens in this movie. Cut to um, 10 or 20 years later. I don't know how old they are. Emily Blunt's dad has died, and so has Jamie Dornan's mom. But Emily Blunt's dad has just died. And Jamie Dornan's dad, Christopher Walken, with the world's worst Irish accent, (laughs) it must be said. What is Christopher Walken doing? What is coming out of his mouth? Also, why did Christopher Walken agree to be in this film? I, I don't know. Why are there famous people in this movie? Like, Emily Blunt is wealthy enough to not be in this movie. Jamie Dornan, having done 50 Shades of Grey, is also wealthy enough to not be in this movie. 
But I feel like Emily Blunt in particular and Christopher Walken should have better choices of movie. Yeah, seriously. Like, they both read the script and was like, yeah, I'll I'll do this. Like, what blackmail (laughs) (laughs) cult bribe situation? How much money did Emily Blunt get paid to do this piece of trash? Anyway, so Christopher Walken... I don't know, maybe he's just thinking about his own mortality because Emily Blunt's dad has just died. But for whatever reason, he's just like, I think my son is weird and takes too much after his mom's side and will probably never procreate. So I don't want to leave him my farm. Instead, I may leave it to my American nephew, John Hamm. P.S. He unleashes all of this right after they've come from the funeral of Emily Blunt's father, while he's talking to Emily Blunt's mom, just like in their kitchen while Jamie Dornan is like going around doing stuff. And he's like, yeah, I don't think I'm going to leave the farm to my son. And Jamie Dornan's like, what? What? (laughs) (laughs) Well, also, I think part of the reason it's coming up is because he's got a whole angle about trying to buy back this bit of land from Emily Blunt's dad, which I must... Okay, so basically, there's this whole to-do about the fact that after the pushing and swan incident, Emily Blunt's dad bought the bit of land she, like, fell down on from Christopher Walken and gifted it to his 10-year-old daughter. And now there's just, like, a side piece of Christopher Walken's property that's missing. Or not missing, like, it belongs to the other family. So they have to go through a gate or go down the road to get to their property? Emily Blunt has, like, gated it off, or, like, Emily Blunt's father, or whatever. Their family has, like, gated off this little bit of land. So if you're driving from, like, one corner of Christopher Watkins property to the other, you would then have to drive, get out, open the gate, then get back in the car, close the gate, you know, like, do a whole thing, rigmarole, in order to, like, drive through. And this is driving Christopher Walken crazy. I don't understand this at all because a diagram was not provided and I wish a diagram or even an overhead shot had been provided because this is an actually very significant subplot. They talk about it for I would say conservatively 40% of the movie. Yeah so listeners you might think like why are they going on about this like tiny piece of land with gates on it and it's like it is a huge part of this film unfortunately. It's, like, a significant conflict kind of between the families and, like, dad who died left the rest of the farm to mom except this one piece that belongs to Emily Blunt who will never sell it. And it's literally so important that on his deathbed, Christopher Walken is talking about how sorry he is about these fucking gates. (laughs) Anyway, continue on with the plot. Anyway, Emily Blunt as an adult, a beautiful adult, it's Emily Blunt, is still obsessed with Jamie Dornan. Who is weirder. Yes. He, I don't know, he has his head up his butt for whatever reason, and maybe he's, we were like, is he gay? Like, what's happening? But this is a romance, so he's probably not gay. Um, And he's just wandering around, fishing, whatever. Uh, John Hamm, comes to town to possibly claim this land and kind of charms Emily Blunt and... John John Hamm is the American nephew. Oh, yes. And Jamie Dornan, either because of his father's threat or because he has latent feelings for Emily Blunt, it's really unclear, is like trying to get up the nerve to propose to her. 
but he can't, I guess because he's so weird. And then he loses the ring in the field. Yes. But meanwhile, Emily Blunt and her mom are, I guess, on Jamie Dornan's side for, again, reasons passing understanding. And they're trying to guilt Christopher Walken into changing his mind by singing a song his wife used to sing, like at the pub. And then later, Emily Blunt's mom gets sick and dies? Yes. So Emily Blunt's mom passes away. And then shortly after that, Christopher Walken passes away. Yes, but before he passes away, he has a change of heart. They're like in the narrowest hospital hallway in the world. (laughs) I was like, are they in an airplane? And he says to John Hamm, like, oh, you know, like God would fault me. I can't separate Emily Blunt and Jamie Dornan. And that's why I can't sell you the land. I don't know why, since they don't appear to be in love. But there's also this whole thing about how the reason that Christopher Walken sold that strip of land is because he married his wife, but for years he didn't really love her until one day he, like, woke up and did. And he sold the land to buy her a gold wedding ring because before it was brass, and then he created this gate problem. And although he seems to have significant regret about the gate problem, as we've discussed, he's saying to his son, like, oh, I'm sorry, like... I should give you time to find your way. I'm sure that you're heartless in the same way I'm heartless. And one day you will get it together and also find love, probably with Emily Blunt, who seems to be the only eligible woman around for Miles. And the movie so far does not suggest that this will happen. Unless he is in love with her and that's why he's trying to propose, but we don't know. But somehow, inexplicably, eventually this kind of does happen although first emily blunt goes to john ham in new york and like goes to the ballet with him and lets him kiss her which is apparently a huge deal because everyone in this movie except john ham is a virgin maybe it's unclear it's unclear she she actually asks jamie dorden if he's a virgin which implied that like that would be like somewhat ludicrous but i was like confused Since none of them are doing anything and she's appalled that John Hamm should have the audacity to kiss her. Yeah, but they seem like they're 30. So like. (laughs) (laughs) Although at one point, Jamie Dornan is hanging out with a woman who may or may not be a prostitute. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But that's that's neither here nor there. Anyway, this whole movie is very like, is this modern times? It must be because Emily Blunt is talking about freezing her eggs. Yes, but, but but the first time I watched this movie, that line threw me so much because I fully thought we were like in the 70s. And then suddenly she was like talking about freezing her eggs. She was like going to like New York. And I was like, oh, it's like 2000 and like whatever here. So I don't know what's going on. Yes, emotionally, the movie feels like it's many years ago. I would think before the 70s, except obviously we know there's planes and Rolls Royces. I don't know how backwards John Patrick Shanley thinks rural Ireland is, but this is where we are. Anyway, so then I don't, maybe I blacked out a whole section of this movie and Wikipedia was no help at all. But then Jamie Dornan and Emily Blunt are like kind of fighting or working through their issues. And he's like, you should stop smoking, which she does, but then it kind of makes her suicidal. But they're kind of like in a fight in her house and it's raining. Hilarious rain, by the way. A hundred percent there's one shot where you can see that they've like emptied a bucket over Jamie Jamie Doran's head. Yes, 100% correct. It is raining like at a normal rate all around him, but then like right in the spot where he's standing in front of the door, it's just like plunk. Yep, I thought the very same thing. 
Anyway, so then the whole last bit of this film is like cutting back and forth between John Hamm on a plane talking to a random lady and them in her house arguing or sometimes just talking. And it's like, I guess there's like a ticking clock on whether they will get their shit together before John Hamm comes and tries to marry Emily Blunt as if she would not have the ability to say no. Yeah, and just like send him packing. Uh... So, but the real heart of this movie, and the part that Matt and I then spent the rest of the weekend quoting, is Jamie Dornan believes that he can't be with Emily Blunt because he's a nutball, which is maybe true. But specifically, he believes he is a bumblebee. A honeybee. He says a honeybee. A honeybee. I'm so sorry. He believes he is a honeybee. Didn't see that one coming, did you? No, I must say, I did not. (laughs) And had this occurred at the beginning of the movie, you might be like, ah, what an interesting metaphor. Maybe the rest of the movie will explore this. Or even, ah, what a fascinating exploration into the furry lifestyle from an angle we haven't yet seen. But no, no. But to make it more interesting, interspecies romance, Emily Blunt is like, you know what, this is not a problem. Because I sometimes think I am a house cat. But oh, whoa, whoa, wait, I'm not a house cat. And the reason I know that is because I'm a swan. (laughs) (laughs) At which point I just felt like instead of a movie, I was watching Mad Libs. No, like they get, they have sex. Maybe they have sex. Do they have sex? No, they kiss. Okay, and then they get married. By the end of the film, they're married. They're like singing in the pub together. Well, time has passed by the end of the film. They're singing the song his mom used to sing, and everyone's there, past and present, because like of the Irish storytelling ghosts. It's also funny though because because these um parental couples have died at different ages. You see, like Jamie Dornan's mom still kind of young with Christopher Walken who is old. At least I think we saw that. But anyway, everyone is there, including John Hamm and the woman he was talking to on the plane, who presumably he marries. Yep. And in conclusion, this movie has sapped me of the will to live. I only watched this with Alex the first time because I read a Slate article which had spoilers for the twist of Wild Mountain Time. And I read it and went, no, what? I must watch this scene, which turned into watching the whole film. Because it was the bumblebee thing at the end? Yes. But the twist really implies that this has some bearing on the plot. Oh, it has nothing to do with the plot. And the only hint you get is at the beginning when he's a child, he puts his nose in a flower. And at some point he like opens a closet and like a bee comes out or something. Well, no, there's also a thing, maybe this is the closet thing, but like he rescues a bee with like a piece of paper. Oh yeah, maybe that's also another bit. But basically there are like very few bee things that you could like- There's just like light bee imagery. Yeah. But I must say, when he rescues the bee in the cup, it is the loudest bee in the world. (laughs) We were like, what choice did the sound designer make? It sounds like an airplane has come, but it is a bee. (sighs) So, I truly still, I'm so 
baffled by this film. Like, I don't know what's happening. Why? Why is he a bee kin? Like, what, what is going on? What does this have to do with the film? And then we're led to believe, like, this is the reason that he, like, couldn't be with Emily Blunt. Is because he was like, I'm a bee. And I always knew I was a bee. God knew I was a bee. So I couldn't be with you because I was a bee and I was too weird. I just, I need a little more. Like, is it, like, metaphorically, he's a bee and everyone else is an ant? Or is it just, they're humans and he's a bee, so he can't be with a human girl? I don't know. No, I thought, because he clearly had no problems being with her. It was just like, or like, you know, he had no problems like interacting or like being part of his family or things like that. I just think he was like, I feel like a bee and that makes me weird. Well, it does. I mean, yes. And so I can't be with Emily Blunt, even though she's been fucking obsessed with me since forever. The other thing, though, it's unclear whether he loves her. Is he is the idea that we believe he loves her, but he's held back by his bee problems? I think so. I think so, because at the end, he like kisses her. He's like, okay, yes, we're going to be together because she accepts him as a bee person. Yes, but also because she basically tells him to like get over himself. But I, I guess I just felt like there was no evidence to support him liking her. I know, because for a lot of the film, he's just like, oh, okay. Like, when he, like, is going to propose to her, you're like, is this done out of a desire to be with her or just because you think you should be with her? I really thought that this was just going to be a regular bad movie and it was going to be like, oh, he proposed to her because of his dad's, like, ultimatum thing. And then... No, that could have been, like, potentially fun. Yes, this, like, fake marriage conflict situation. Like, whether... If she didn't know, that's, like, a classic rom-com betrayal. If she did know, then there's hijinks. This is the movie I would have predicted would happen, not the movie I watched, where at one point I saw, like, an Irish hill and I said the words, I hope that's a volcano. (laughs) You know, I have to say, though, much like Leap Year, my favorite film of all time, um, this movie had beautiful shots of Ireland. Yes, the Irish countryside is incredible. It cannot be denied. Uh, Also, I have to say, although I will never get those two hours of my life back, we did quote this movie the rest of the weekend. (laughs) Every few hours, one of us would be like, I have to tell you something. (laughs) I believe I'm a bumblebee. Or I just... I don't know what's wrong with you, with your gates and your loneliness and not knowing how many acres you have, which is basically an exact line out of John Hans' mouth. <laughs> he can't understand the Irish because of all their gates and their loneliness and how they don't know how many acres they have. He's very snotty for someone who clearly lives in Hoboken based on the shot of New York City that we see. I was saying earlier that I truly think that Jamie Dorn and Emily Blunt should win Oscars for their portrayals because how could you say those lines and not laugh? Like, Jamie Dornan's voice is, like, breaking when he says, I'm a honeybee. Like, it's like, it's like, how? Masterful acting. I tip my hat to you, sir. In the, like, weighted pause before that happens, by the way, I was trying to guess what other secrets Anthony could have. Like, I was like, is it I don't have a penis? I did sleep with that donkey that you saw me talking to earlier. I love to fish. And these are reasonable guesses based on the rest of the film. Like, I haven't even had a chance to address all of the ludicrous things that were said. And yet, you would never have seen it coming. 
Also, speaking of ludicrous things, let's not gloss over the fact that at one point in that final fight, she basically threatens him with a gun. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She also threatens to kill herself. That whole scene is possibly one of the craziest scenes in in a film. You can tell that it was originally from a play because it's basically him trying to tell her that he needs to leave for the airport to pick up John Hamm like six <laughs> times and her being like, I'm going to drive you. And of course, they like talk about something else. And it's like, I have to go. I'm going to drive you. Sit down. And you're like, well, this is a play. Yep, that's a play. Also, the quiet part before the fight really starts, Matt was like, never have two people talked more about one beer. (laughs) (laughs) Have a beer. No, I can't have a beer. Have a beer. No, I can't have a beer. I can't have a whole beer. What if we split the beer? Oh, have a second (laughs) beer. Do you want a sandwich? No, I don't want a sandwich. I have to go. Let me make you a sandwich. Sit down. I'm making you a sandwich. (laughs) You can totally have the second beer because you've only had half of the first beer. (laughs) She also has some, like, key lines in that scene. So I wrote down, like, some bests and worst, but, like, every best was a worst. Every worst was a best. One of the best things, though, about this movie is that if you Google it, followed by the word reviews, you're going to get some pretty hilarious things. Uh, This guy from IndieWire basically says, the National Leprechaun Museum of Ireland responded to the trailer by tweeting, even we think this is a bit much. (laughs) It's pretty wonderful. But I can't read these reviews. I don't want to lose any more time to this movie. But you read a review of the play. I didn't even read a review of the play. I read those quotes on Wikipedia. Oh, okay. You, I see. You didn't actually read the full play review. No, I just, I needed to know, I scrolled to reception of both tabs. Like, I needed to know, like, was this movie well-received? And then, was this play well-received? But along the way, I discovered that it was John Patrick Shanley. And I was like, wait, I know this name. And then I was like, oh my god, he wrote Doubt. Yeah, I, I mean, there were some reviewers who like were a little kinder, which I like don't understand because like, did they watch the same thing? It's so boring. Like, bee shit aside, this movie is so dull. That bee thing is like the most exciting thing that happens in the movie. Is it boring? I'm so undecided. Was this movie eventful or uneventful? This movie is mostly just a lot of shots of Jamie Dornan like stomping around the rain. Or looking for rings. Or Emily Blunt on her horse. There's a lot of like weird little farming subplots that don't seem to matter. It's a very cluttered film and yet nothing happens. Yep, 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 yep. I also find it very confusing that Anthony calls his father Tony. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because Jamie Dornan's name is Anthony and then Christopher Walken's name is also Anthony. But he call they call him Tony, whatever. I'm just like, could have named him Tom. Problem solved. It's fine. <laughs> Um, so let's talk about, let's, let's go back to that scene that, that lengthy, like broken up scene of Emily Blunt and Jamie Dornan, like talking in Emily Dornan, at Emily Blunt's house. Some great lines from Emily Blunt here. Oh boy. One of which I think was men are beasts. That's why they need the goodness of women or something like that to like balance them out. No, 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 no. Okay. There's a whole run here where I was trying to write lines down and everyone was worse than the last. It was like earlier in the scene, they said a man with feelings should be put down. Yes, she says that. Oh, is it her? I hate a man with feelings. Okay. 
I couldn't remember which one of them. And then at one point she says, a man should stink. Yes. And she means it literally. Yes, because they're talking about John Hamm because he's like, you're going to marry John Hamm. He's like really insistent, by the way. He's like, John Hamm is coming here to marry you and you're going to move to America. And she's like, I can't be with John Hamm. He smells like soap. <laughs> he smells of lilies of the valleys. <laughs> a man should smell like sheep. <laughs> Or manure or something horrible. <laughs> like something like that. Then she says men are beasts. But what she actually says after that is something about like liking that men are tall. They need the height to balance the truth and goodness of women. Yeah, it's insane. Like you're listening to these words coming out of this woman's mouth and you're like, what the fuck? This is also why... I felt like this took place in the distant past. Do we think like John Patrick Shanley should like retire now? Yes. Like, I think we're done, right? Like, I think he can just like put down the computer, the typewriter, the pen and just like done, be done. Yes, I know nothing about him personally, so I'm, I'm sorry. But this feels like a Gary Marshall style decline in the quality of his work. Significant decline must be said. <laughs> Um, some other things that happen in this scene. Emily Blunt said, have you seen me naked in your mind? Oh my God. Have you thought about the shape of me? Yes. Yes. That happened. <laughs> have you thought about taking me in your arms and carrying me to the moon? The moon? Yes, she says that. She says that following, have you thought about the shape of me? So you think it's going to go somewhere like kind of sexual. And then she's like, have you thought about sweeping me off to the moon? And you're like, what? But you know what? <laughs> Jamie Dornan is always at his window asking questions of the stars. And at one point, Emily Blunt, many, many scenes before, said the sky is for now or something. So there's, these are not very literal people. Look, my main problem here is also that these two people clearly look like they are in their 30s. But how could you have gotten to the age of 30 behaving like these people? <laughs> how? And this is not to mention that that scene, it's very long. And it's like her being a crazy person. She is nuts in the scene. I was like, wow, no human person behaves like this. When she's asking Jamie Dornan about if he thinks about her, she's like really encroaching in his personal space. Like she sits down in the chair next to him and is like, have you thought about me at night, Jamie Dornan? <laughs> and you're like, what kind of person does this? But it's not like, does she have a mental health problem and or is she a predator? It's really like, is she a bumblebee? Does she not know what it's like to be in a room with a human being? Yeah, she behaves like, uh, like that a lot of time. Oh, including the fact that when she goes to New York, I think you missed this part. She goes for one day. Oh, she, yeah. It's it's like a, a couple of hours. Yeah, she flies there, goes, drags John Hamm to go see Swan Lake, lets him take her to dinner, kiss her, and then she flies back because, quote unquote, she only got a man to watch her farm for two days. This is the point where she's appalled that after going to dinner in the ballet with John Hamm, it's crazy that he might think that she would want to be kissed. It also like befuddled me that John Hamm came all the way from New York, like met Emily Blunt and was like, oh, I like her. This is the one. I mean, I guess maybe he was like, what a refreshing change of pace. This ludicrous Irish woman on the farm next door. I'm going to take over my uncle's farm and marry this woman. He would have regretted this decision so fast. Yes, it really would have been an Angelica Houston and Ever After situation. Like, a hot second later, he would have been like, oh, shit, what did I get myself into? I'm going to go back to Hoboken. 
But, you know, to quote him, she looked like an absolute goddess watching that ballet. I mean, she did. But as, like, from this movie, I think we can both understand, like, Jamie Dornan and uh, Emily Blunt are both attractive people, and yet no one, I would not choose to be with either of them. I really struggled to find Jamie Dornan attractive, though. Like, is he attractive outside of this movie? Maybe. He was not attractive in this movie. But maybe I was just overcome by his personality, and so I could not see his face. (laughs) Kind of like how I didn't know that Liam Hemsworth was good looking until I saw him interviewed as himself and not playing Gale in The Hunger Games. (sighs) Who can say? Who can say? Maybe I should watch Fifty Shades of Grey. I'm not going to, but maybe I should. I mean, I hear it's I hear it's funny. Um, my favorite character was Flossie the dog. <laughs> she was the only one who didn't talk, which helped. Also, Blister the horse. Yes, Blister the horse. Um, what would you say would be your favorite scene from this film? I actually have a few. Um, I enjoyed most of Bad News Cleary's appearances. <laughs> He may have been my favorite human character. I felt like I was watching the Fantastics. Um, I liked when John Hamm arrived in his Rolls Royce and it was like an automatic car. The devil's work. (laughs) (laughs) And Christopher Walken was legit like, it's the finest car I've ever seen. (laughs) It's shocking that these people like know where the airport is. Emily Blunt knows about freezing her eggs. There is, like, literally in one review, someone was like, this is so insulting to the Irish, like, that you would portray them like this. Like, this is insane. And truly, you feel like they are, like, backwoods children. It's weird how, like, technology and stuff can coexist with my favorite moment, which is when Christopher Walken throws a milk can through the window suddenly and shouts, then get a wife. <laughs> oh, there's also one part, speaking of technology, where, oh, it's that same scene where Jamie Dornan first gets into Emily Blunt's house after he gets like a bucket of water poured on him. He's like, it's so bright in here. Like you have all the, like, he says something about the electricity, like you're, you're going to like burn through all your electricity or whatever. And she has to turn down a light. <laughs> Is this man reading by candlelight? What is happening? Well, maybe because some of my favorite things that he says in that scene are, one is, I have a handkerchief. Oh, yes. She's like, let me get you a towel. And he's like, I have a handkerchief. And it's like a handkerchief that hasn't been like washed in like 20 years. Yes, it came out of Ron Weasley's pocket. Um, um And then continuously, like my favorite thing is when he... When she's trying to get him to, I don't know, drink the beer, have a sandwich, whatever. He keeps saying, I have a full day. (laughs) Just over and over. I have a full day. Emily Blunt, I can't stay here and dine with you. I have a full day. (laughs) I have to get to the airport. I have a full day. I can't drink your beer. I'm sorry. I have a full day. I find it difficult to believe, however, that Jamie Dornan has a full day. I don't know what to tell you. I, I have a full day. I, I can't. I, I can't. I don't have the time to explain this to you. I have a full day. I also love that at one point he says, we'll get Adam. You've already kissed him. Yeah, he's like really touchy about that kiss. It's like she let Adam, like John Hamm, like go to town on her, like in the middle of Times Square. Like he is so upset. We'll get Adam. You've already had three illegitimate children together. <laughs> 
they both are very hung up on this one brief kiss that she shared with John Hamm after their evening at the ballet. Why are they such prudes? They grew up on farms. But prior to all of this, two of my favorite things were... I think it might be Emily Blunt who says this. You might remember. This was the one of the first lines I wrote down. Some of us don't have joy, but we do what we must. <laughs> I don't remember who said that, but it might. It sounds like an Emily Blunt line. It sums up how I feel about watching this movie. <laughs> but then also there was Christopher Walken saying, I need this settled. I'm turning 75. <laughs> But nothing surpasses, I have a full day. Or, I believe I am a honeybee. No, I don't. I I refuse to acknowledge that as a viable line of dialogue. (laughs) Um, Well, I've already kind of mentioned my favorite line scenes. The whole, like, last thing with the beer, with the sandwich. So many great lines. (laughs) The who's on first of sharing a beer. Yep, 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 yep. Um, Enjoy that. So, what about your worst scene? I mean, we've we've kind of talked about worst lines. I think... We've already covered, I think we did worsts first and then we went to best. I think I've covered all my notes. Okay, that's fair. Of course, there was like not a person of color in this film. There were two, I think. There was an Asian lady at the pub who I didn't spot, but Matt did. Oh, I did not notice that. I assume it's the first time when Emily Blunt is singing. I would know. By the way, the whole song thing, were they just like, we got Emily Blunt, she better sing? I I have no idea. Yeah, there's a lot of... The song plays like a significant role in the film, but is not significant at all. This movie was really like... It was as if Tron Patrick Shanley reached into a hat full of motifs and then was like, I'll just use them all. I'll use them all. No, it's honestly like if you fed an AI a bunch of John Patrick Shanley like ideas and like plays and then it just like churned. This is like an AI created play film. And then you put it in Ireland. Yeah, it makes no sense. It's insane. Um... Oh, yes. But then also, I think the woman that John Hamm is talking to on the plane is a person of color. Do you? I'm not sure, actually. Or is she just like Italian or Greek No, or no, she's Irish. No, no, I know. But is she just a dark white oh, person? Oh, like of like Italian or Greek origin. I have no idea. I, I'm not really sure about the demographic makeup of parts of Ireland. You know, I was always told, like, if I visited Ireland, not to, like, really go out of the cities because I I had heard that it's, like, parts of Ireland are, like, unbelievably racist. But having not visited Ireland, I cannot say. I don't want to malign all of Ireland. Although I feel like there were plenty maligned in this film. Yes. Sorry. Now I'm looking to try and figure out who this actress is, but it's tough because I'm not sure that I know the name of the lady on the plane. Oh, I'm not sure she was named. Like, do you think this was her? I... I you know what? I could not say. <laughs> anyway, so maybe maybe she was. There may have been, Well, let's believe Matt. There were one to two people of color in this film. Yeah. Um, and then what would you what would you rate this fine movie? If I could give this a negative value, I would. Um one out of ten bumblebee swan romances. I'm gonna be generous. I'm gonna give it a two. Two out of ten bumblebee swan romances. Two out of ten gates. Uh, so let's average. Okay. One and a half out of ten teeth-tasting, glass-tasting waters. Sure. That sounds good. Let me ask you a question just right before we go. When did you realize upon watching it that this was going to be a truly wretched experience? Almost immediately. <laughs> Like, did you make it past, like, the first few scenes before you were like, oh, shit? I don't 
don't know. It's really blurred together, but I think at first, when Matt was so desperate to Google whether it might be a play, I was really busy preventing him, but also I was kind of like, you know, it could pick up. Like, someone just died. Maybe that's why they're all in this mood. Like, it could get, like, a little better. But I would say less than 25% of the way in, we were like, we've heard nary a line of human-sounding dialogue. (laughs) Which is never a good sign. No. No, no, no. I am curious now about the play, but like, like, because I'm curious about like whether he literally just took the play and just took the entirety of the play and was like, this is now the screenplay. The thing is, I kind of understand how this could have been better as a play. Like, parts of it feel more tolerable as a play. You're also further away from people when you're watching a play. (laughs) I just also think like when you go into a play, you have, especially like, you know, I don't know, like certain types of play, like you have an understanding of like what you're getting yourself into. I feel like, well, the song is Wild Mountain Time. So I feel like the song was probably added because the play only has four characters. Oh. So they couldn't be at the pub. They couldn't be at the party. I think John Hamm doesn't exist as a character. Like, he's just a threat. The weird thing is, though, like, the play really sounds like a Eugene O'Neill type of situation. Mm -hmm. You know? But the movie is being sold as a rom-com. Yeah, it's very strange. A real genre departure. Yep. So, listeners... We would not recommend that you watch this, but if you are like, lol, I would like to have a good laugh, you should Google the B scene, at least find it on YouTube. I'm sure someone's put it there because someone did put it on Twitter. Or if you're just feeling like your day is going too well and you'd like to really take it down a few pegs, you could watch this movie. There you go. Well, thanks so much for listening. Um, We'll be back next month with a new episode. Um, As always, you can follow us on social media, which will be in our credits. And thank you so much for listening. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. Thank you to Hannah Oatman, who composed our theme music, and Alexandra Oatman, who painted our logo art. You can follow Alexandra on Twitter at at Alexandra. Special thanks to Quincy Surasmith for advising us on the art of the podcast. Subscribe to his wonderful podcast, Asian Americana, at wherever you get your podcasts. Want more Romcomathon? You can read past reviews at romcomathon2016.tumblr.com and follow us at Romcomathon2016 on Facebook and Twitter and Romcomathon on Instagram. We look forward to hearing from you. Please subscribe and rate Romcomathon on iTunes. Thank you.